All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. And as we said, this is our last lesson in the series on It's Not What You Think. And it's a rather abrupt lesson title tonight, God Uses Nobodies. Aren't you glad? God Uses Nobodies. It's kind of a great segue into our next series, which is speaking about it's more than a name. And uh, that, that series is going to be dealing with people in the Bible that don't have a name. Uh, they're listed in the Bible, but their, their name is not listed there. We're looking forward to, to working and getting, getting into that. But this has been a great series as well. And um, when we think about God using nobodies, it kind of brought me back to the playground. The playground. The playground, yeah, the playground. I remember when I was quite young and we would go out at the recess and it was time to play football. We played football, American football, not the, the football that you, maybe you're thinking of, although I love that football too. But uh, it was time to play, and so all the guys would get together, and we would have two captains, and you know what the captains would do, right? The captains would, all the guys would be there, and they would say, okay, all right, you get to choose first, and you choose second this time, because you chose first last time. And so then it would be a process of elimination, and everybody would be chosen, and nobody wanted to be the last one chosen, because what did that mean? That meant that whoever the captain was thought you stunk at football, or you couldn't run good enough, or that you were a nobody, you know? And so those are kind of things that we all had to overcome, maybe at recess, wherever you were in school, I don't know. But uh, so that's what I kind of thought about when I thought of God using nobody. So thankfully, it's not that way. God doesn't look down and see, okay, there's so-and-so and so-and-so, and you know, let's see, which one has a little more... Uh, a little more uh, fleet of foot. Which one is a little bit more whatever? No, that's not how God works. And I'm thankful for that. God doesn't choose that way. But we are all prone to compare ourselves, aren't we? We, are, we all are prone to compare ourselves among ourselves. And sometimes we even will, will think, you know, God can't use me because I can't do anything. I can't even chew gum and walk at the same time. Or sometimes we might think that, you know, God's going to use me because, I mean, look what I can do. It's kind of the, the, the opposite ends of the spectrum sometimes. Maybe it's somewhere right in the middle. But that's not how God works. God doesn't look at someone who the world would look at and say, wow, look at that person. I mean, they can do this, that, and the other thing. So, you know, they're going to be the, the leader of the pack, not necessarily. He delights in using those who recognize that they're unable to do anything of eternal significance unless God gets involved. That's really the place that we want to get tonight, is that while, yes, we aren't really qualified, but with God's help, He can enable us to do something significant for His honor and glory. And it isn't about my education or lack thereof. It isn't about my pedigree or lack thereof. It isn't about any of this. It's about the, the, uh, the working of God in my life. You think about the disciples. Some of the disciples that Jesus chose were very uneducated. They knew how to stick a net in the water. I mean, yeah, that, I'm sure that took some, some expertise. I'm not I'm getting overly critical, but, you know, uh, several of them were, you know, they were really good at going out on the water of the Sea of Galilee and bringing in fish. 
Now, some were educated. Some were a little bit more professional, if you will. But uh, there were a good number of them. Luke 5. Luke 5. I'm just going to read this. We'll get to 1 Corinthians in just a minute. It says, And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, uh, the sons of thunder, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. In Luke chapter 6, verse 13, it says, And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples. One of them, uh, one of, uh, and of them he chose twelve, uh, he named, he also, whom he also he named apostles. Slow down. Simon, who also, uh, he also named Peter, Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon called Zelotes, and Judas the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. These men were chosen not at what they could do for him, but what he could do through them. There's a big difference. Not what I have to offer him, but what he can do through me. What he can do through someone, like anyone here tonight, who is simply yielded to what God would have for us. I think of the Old Testament example. I had you turn to 1 Corinthians. I'm sorry, but let, let's do a little bit more work before we get there. Let's go to Judges chapter 6. Maybe you know exactly who we're talking about. Judges chapter number 6. And here we find someone who considered himself weak and unqualified. Does anybody know who we're talking about? Just by the chapter title. Judges 6. He put out a fleece two nights in a row. That didn't help any, okay? Anybody know? Gideon, there you go. Gideon. Look at verse number 11. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash, the Abbey, that the Abbey Ezrite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress. He was doing it at the winepress because he was scared of the Midianites. Because the Midianites were a pretty powerful group. So I'm not going to be threshing wheat out in the middle of the open. I'm going in the wine press. That's not what you do in the wine press. You press grapes, not thresh wheat. But Gideon did it because he was scared. Maybe rightfully so. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. He's hiding and yet the angel of the Lord says, you are a mighty man of valor. But notice what he said before that, which is really the key. He said, the Lord is with thee. And that's what made Gideon a mighty man of valor. Not because he was Gideon, the, the thresher of wheat at the winepress. It's because the Lord was with him. The verse goes on to say, and Gideon said unto him, verse 13, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? Where be all of his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? And he goes on to talk to the angel of the Lord. And why has all this happened? Why are we in the hands of the Midianites? How come it's not like when we came from Egypt? Verse 14, And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? 
And he said unto him, Oh, my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? You got the wrong guy. You, got, you must have got mixed up somewhere because there's no way I can save Israel. Look what he says. He said, my family is poor. I mean, we can barely rub, we barely got two nickels to rub together. My family's poor in Manasseh. Surely you're talking, you're, you, you got wrong, you got on the wrong turn here. Not only that, but he says, and I'm the least in that poor house. We're poor, and I'm the least in the house. Surely it's not me you want. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee. And thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And what a great miracle God did perform through Gideon. Moses. Moses, Exodus 4, 10 to 12. We won't take time to turn there. We, we're we're going to run out of time here. Moses saw himself as a terrible choice for a spokesman to Pharaoh. We even used him as, a, as an illustration for someone that made great excuses. But God is always able to use people who are humanly insignificant. Nobody. That's how God works. Just read through Hebrews 11 sometime. Maybe you haven't read through that in a while. Read through Hebrews 11 sometime. The hall of faith. And see all the people that are listed there. You know what? Let's go to Hebrews 11 because I, I was reading it, I think in preparation for this or for something else. Either way, it doesn't really matter. But you know what? Something jumped out at me when I was reading Hebrews 11. I just want to share it with you. Hebrews, James. That helps me remember where it's at in the Bible. Okay? <laughs> Hebrews, James, I'm always, you got to just go through the whole thing. Sometimes you forget. Uh, Hebrews 11, it's 40 verses long. We're not going to read it all. But we're going to go to verse number 30, uh, 36. Would you read the first two words of verse 36 with me? Hebrews eleven thirty six. Ready? And others. Who are the others? Well, we don't know. There, you know, we might even see this next in the next curriculum, so we're, maybe we're going to hear it twice. I didn't look ahead, but others, no name. But these others, they also gave their life for their faith. They were so insignificant that their names didn't even make it in the Bible. They just got put under and others. But they're in the hall of faith. Look at verse number 39. It got even better, and it got the challenge got even more. And notice, notice the first three words of verse 39. Let's read the first three words of verse 39. Ready, begin. And these all. Who are these all? People that had faith. Having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. Those who make the greatest impact, those who are called and used of God, are not necessarily always those who may have the best talent, wisdom, heritage, or ability, but they know they need God's power on their life. By the way, if you're a husband here tonight, can I just tell you this lovingly? 
To be the husband that God wants you to be, you need God's power. You can't be the husband you need to be by reading all the how to be a husband book in the bookstore. I'm not saying those books are wrong. I'm just saying if I'm going to be the best husband to honor my to honor my Lord first and then to love my wife, I need God's power. It's impossible for me to be a a godly husband without God's power. It is impossible. And you could talk about that in every other area of your life as well. We need God's power. The Apostle Paul's testimony is helpful to us, okay? That's where we started at, so let's go back there. 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 2. Because he gives, he gives an explanation about himself. And I mean, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And yet, look what he writes in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom. I didn't come with big words. Declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Notice what he says in verse number 3. And I was with you in what? Weakness. That's that's, That's a pretty revealing statement, isn't it? Paul says, I was with you. I was as weak as you. What's the next statement after weakness? Fear. Oh, wow. What a quality. This this is the who's who. Weak, fearful. We would look at that and say, "Eh, that's it. Weak and fearful, you're never going to do anything for God. This is Paul. Yet he says, I was weak, I was fearful. What else does he say? Trembling. What? His knees were knocking. He was so scared. Trembling. And my speech and my preaching, look what he says, was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. I didn't have the biggest theological terms in the the area, but what what did I have, Paul said? I believe he's giving glory to God. I don't think this is a, let's pat Paul on the back night. No, he's saying, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why? Why was this important? Notice the colon there at the end of power. There's now going to be an explanation of why that was so important. Verse 5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men. If your faith is in the wisdom of men, you're going to be sorely disappointed. If my faith is in the wisdom of men, I'm going to be very, I'm going to be devastated. I could tell you about a few men that I looked at as mentors who've devastated me. And I looked at them. It's not wrong to follow a man as he's following God. But if that's where my faith is, that's a problem. My faith should never be in a man. Notice what Paul said. Not in man's wisdom, but in the power of God. Knowing that men are men at, all men are, are men at best. Right? That's, that's, that's for the ladies too, by the way. But Paul said, no, I, don't, I didn't have big words. In fact, I was fearful. I was trembling. I came to you, not in excellency of speech, but I came to you in the power of the, of the Holy Spirit of God. That's really what makes the difference. Any Christian can be used of God, even if we feel we're not qualified. In fact, we must all come to the place where we recognize that any element 
of effectiveness for God in our lives is not due to something special about us. But it's due to the power of God. Number one, in our outline, Paul leaves us an example. Number one, that we be determined. Determined. Paul had a laser focus, and his laser focus was to make Christ known. Let's not get caught up in all these things that we could be doing. Let's just have a focus that we're going to make Christ known. We're going to make Christ known in our life. We're going to make Christ known from our lips. In other words, your walk must talk before your talk talks. Your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk is louder than your talk. So we want our walk, we want our life to to point people to Christ, but then we want our lips to point people to Christ. It's not just lifestyle evangelism. You don't just go and live like a Christian. When When you're living like a Christian, it should come out of my lips that I am a Christian. Giving glory to God. Paul was determined, letter, letter A, he was determined to preach Christ for salvation. See that in verse number two. I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. We are all called to make Christ known. We talked about that in the five o'clock hour. To preach Christ simply means to declare the truth of the gospel to someone else. You know, I want to I encourage you tonight. Think about this. When is the last time you declared the truth of the gospel to someone? In any way. Gospel track. Speaking about Christ. When's the last time? Look, if you can't even remember when it was, it's been too long. We were not saved just simply to live our Christian life. We were, we were saved to preach Christ. This isn't for the pastor. This is for every believer. May God help me not to miss those opportunities. That I would be determined to preach Christ for salvation. Anyone who communicates the message of the gospel is working together with God, doing the most important thing on the earth. We read that in Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So determined to preach Christ for salvation, number two. Determined to preach Christ for sanctification. For sanctification. So it wasn't just, hey, everybody, everybody get saved, let's talk about the cross. He pointed out that after, sancti- after salvation, excuse me, Our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption is through Christ. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. It's just back maybe one page, or it might even be on the same page of your Bible. Look at 1 Corinthians, please, chapter 1, verse number 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Makes it pretty clear, doesn't it? All of these are through Christ as well. I'm going to heaven because of Christ. I'm saved because of Christ. But I'm also being sanctified, being made more like God, being set apart. I'm also learning wisdom, having wisdom because of God. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, the Bible says, that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. James tells us that. So it comes through Christ as well. 
Colossians 1.27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We are new creatures in Christ. Okay, we got all the horns going. There we go. As we talked about earlier tonight, the journey of life doesn't begin at birth. The process of salvation is instant, but the process of sanctification is a journey. It is a process, actually. Be determined. Number two, be dependent. Dependent. The word fear there in our text means dread or terror. It is used to describe the anxiety that someone will have who distrusts his ability to completely meet the requirements. But does, the, but does his utmost to fulfill his duty. Let me read that again. It is used to describe the anxiety of one who distrusts, who doesn't think he's able to meet the requirements, but does his utmost, does his best to fulfill the duty anyway. That's what he said in verse number 3. Do you see that? And I was with you, 1 Corinthians 2, 3, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. The, Paul basically is saying here, the good that God did through me was not me. I was dependent upon Christ to empower me to empower the gospel, but it wasn't Paul. It was Christ in him, the hope of glory. He didn't depend on his words. He didn't depend on his ability. He didn't depend on his logic. He depended on Jesus Christ. Letter A, dependent upon God's truth. God's truth. Paul wasn't trying to persuade anyone. By his own ability. We see that in verse 4. My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. My ideas and my thoughts are never going to change anyone. But God's word, now that's a different subject. God's word has power behind it. My words have no power. God's words have all power. Jeremiah 23, 29 says this about God's word. Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? Isaiah wrote in chapter 55, verse 11, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. I read that verse Saturday morning to our group of people that went out for outreach at 10.30. And I said, at the time, it was raining quite heavily. And I said, well, I don't know how much of the word we're going to get out today, but I can tell you this, it's not going to return void. We have God's promise. 
Thankfully, partway in, God rolled the clouds away. And we stayed drier than I thought, and then it started raining again later on. So I praise the Lord for that. And I read a story about a young man who was out in the streets of, I believe, the London, England area years and years ago on a snowy day. This young man was 15 years of age, and he was out taking a walk on a Sunday, headed to church. The church that he would walk to every Sunday, only on this particular Sunday, the snow was so bad, he could not get to the church that he would normally go to. And so he stopped into a Methodist church. That day, the pastor was not even there, because he couldn't get there because of the snow. There was a small group of people there, and one of the men stood up, and trying to remember from memory the verse that he read, he really read about four verses of Scripture. I believe the one verse was something like, come unto me, not ye that are labor and are ye that are that labor and are heavy laden but come unto me and come come unto me from all the ends of the earth or something like that he read the text that's all he could do and then he just went through it he was a layman and he just kind of talked about it a little bit and he looked right at this 15 year old boy on a snowy wintry day in london in the london area he was the only visitor obviously there everybody knew he was a visitor and he really made it very personal that day. And to that, that day, that young man gave his life to Christ. Not because of the eloquence of the preacher, but because of the power of the Word of God. Possibly you've read some of his books. He's one of the most read preachers, if not the most read preacher in all the world. His name is Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Maybe you've heard of him. Just a small little group. But yet the word of God was given. He got under conviction. He got saved. And I guess you could say the rest is history. It wasn't the power of the preacher. It never is, by the way. It's the power of the word of God. God's word is a hammer. God's word is a rock. Breaks a hammer, excuse me, or breaks a rock. A hammer that breaks a rock. Knowing the power of God's word in my life should make me, should cause me to want to be a serious student of the word of God. Paul wrote to the church at Colossae in chapter 3, verse 16 of Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The sixth president of the United States, our neighbors to the south, John Quincy Adams, Isn't this, this is amazing that any president, prime minister, or head of state or whatever would say something like this. Listen to this statement. John Quincy Adams said, I have for many years made it a practice to read through the Bible once a year. My custom is to read four or five chapters every morning immediately after rising from bed. It employs about an hour of my time and seems to be the most suitable manner of beginning the day. In what light soever we regard the Bible, whether we, with reverence to, reference to revelation, to history, or to morality, it is an invaluable and inexhaustible mine of knowledge and virtue. Dependent upon God's truth. Number next. Dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Dependent upon the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit works in conjunction mightily with the Word of God. For you see, the Bible is written, was written by the Holy Spirit of God. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. They were simply the pen and the Holy Spirit was holding the pen, if you will. The Holy Spirit is the agent that God uses today to bring conviction of sin and also convincing of repentance. God's Spirit works as we give others the truth of the Word of God. John 6, 63, it is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. Oh, but the Spirit quickeneth. It means it makes alive. You know, the last part of that verse, John 6, 63 says, the words that I speak unto you, Jesus said, they are spirit I cannot work in your heart. You cannot work in my heart. I cannot work in, you can't work in the heart of your coworker, but the word of God and the spirit of God can. This is the power. Holy Spirit is the power through the word of God. If I rely on my natural abilities, I'm going to discover, which I have many, many times, sad to say that I am limited Without the Holy Spirit's help. I'm very limited. So be determined. Be dependent. Number three, be desirous. You know, to be very open, to be very honest, and I think I've been honest to this point, but to be really honest, I think this is what's missing in a lot of Christians today. Desire. Desire. Been saved 30, 40 years, 50 years, you know, just okay, yeah. I'm just punching the clock for the rest of my life, so to speak. I'm just punching the clock on the Lord. And I'm going to heaven, I'm saved, I, you know, this and that. But there's no desire, or it's seemingly very little. 1 Peter 2, 2, you know what it says about babies? They desire something. The sincere milk of the word. Hey, I need some milk. I'm hungry over here, mom. Feed me. I've got a desire for something. And if you don't do it quick enough, they're going to let you know. I wonder if maybe we've, we need to go back and we need to think about what it was like to desire to be used of God in a supernatural way. Not just to fill up a chair but to be used of God. Ask yourself, am I hungry to be used of God? I really believe this is what's missing in my life. When I get to a certain place, the desire is waning. And I know it. I can tell. Yeah. Just, let's just check it all off. Get her done. You know, get to another week. No, 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 no. That's not the right attitude. That's not the right attitude. That's not what our Savior deserves of us. He who bled and died that we could be saved and we just say, well, you know, okay, sirrah, sirrah, I'm just going to do whatever and this is my life anyway. Be desirous. God invites all of us tonight that are believers to serve Him. What an invitation. 
Paul was desirous of two things. Number one, he was desirous of God's power. We've kind of covered that already, but look at 1 Corinthians 2, 4. But in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. The work of God depends on the power of God. We've talked about that. Acts 1, 8, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and in the other most part of the earth. Paul points out that our areas of insufficiency actually prove to us the greatness of God's power. Let's look at it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4. Desirous. Do we have a desire tonight? That, you know, a desire cannot be learned. You can't learn a desire. You can't go to Bible college and say, do you have a course on desire because I need to sign up for it? It doesn't work that way. Desire comes as we devour the word of God. Desire comes as we, as, we, as we say, God, whatever you want for my life, whatever you want for me, God, whatever you have for me, that's what I want. God, I'm a nobody. I'm insignificant. But according to the Apostle Paul, you know, there's some things that you can do through me. I'll be yielded and I want you to do these through. I have a desire. I have a desire that my family always walks in truth. Do you have that desire for your family? I have a desire that God's church would be thriving and going forward in faith. Do you have that desire? Or is it I've done my Sunday thing. I'll see you next Sunday. And that's it. You know what? That's many Christians today. I did my Sunday thing. That's it. I'm done. See you next week. Where's the desire? Where's the, I used to do this in the church, but I don't do anything anymore. Where's that? Why? Why? Why is that? Sometimes I just take a walk and I say, God, why am I feeling this way? Why don't I have a desire to do? And I just, you know, there's some things for me that God's working on me about. What's wrong with me? You ever talk to yourself like that? God, what's wrong with me? So many other things, I'll tell you what's wrong, so many other things that don't amount for eternity get involved in my life and your life and the desire for eternal things goes way down because we're too busy with everything else. I'm guilty of that. Desirous of God's power, let's move on, we've got to quit here. Desirous of God's glory. That no flesh, Paul said, 1 Corinthians 1.29, that no flesh should glory in His presence. This isn't about us glorying in our time with the lord or even in our own desire well i've got desire no it's not about glorying in ourselves but he says but of him are ye in christ jesus who of god is made unto us and we, we've read already verse 31 that according as it is written he that glorieth let him glory in thee who the lord we can have a tendency to glory in or feel joy or pleasure in the wrong things Those who glory in the Lord are those who see clearly that God is their wisdom. God is their righteousness. God is their sanctification. God is their their redemption. They take pleasure in who He is and the work that He is doing through them. Paul wanted this church to know this, that God alone gets the glory. 
Might I say tonight, that is our prayer every Sunday morning in our men's prayer meeting. I think it's usually said at least once. God, you get the glory for this day. In just a few minutes, we're going to baptize someone that got saved. To God be the glory. And may we never get used to that. May we never get used to somebody getting saved. Do you realize what someone getting saved means? It means they never go to hell. So many times we hear somebody getting saved and there's absolutely zero emotion. I'm telling you, if somebody gets saved, if I get, when I, when I hear somebody getting saved, there's something in me that stirs. Praise the Lord, somebody got saved. Be excited about it. Be joyful about it. But it's to God's glory. It's not for Anchor Baptist Church to pat themselves on the back and say, great job. No, to God be the glory. I love that hymn, don't you? To God be the glory. Great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son. To God be the glory. Paul said, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 6.14 By whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. God does not use the proud. God does not use those who think they have the abilities. God uses any believer who is determined to make Christ known. Who depends on the Spirit of God and the Word of God. To the potter's house I went one day and watched him while molding the vessels of clay. And many a wonderful lesson I drew as I noted the process the day the clay went through. Trampled and broken, downtrodden and rolled to render more plastic and fit for the mold. How like the clay that is human, I thought, when in heavenly hands to perfection brought for self must be cast as the dust at his feet before it is ready for service made meet. and pride must be broken and self-will lost all laid on the altar whatever the cost but lo by and by a delicate vase of wonderful beauty and exquisite grace was it once the vile clay ah yes yet how strange the potter has wrought so marvelous a change. Not a trace of the earth, nor mark of the clay. Hmm, the fires of the furnace have burned them all away. Wondrous skill of the potter. The praise is due, is his due, in whose hands to perfection the beauty it grew. Thus with souls lying still, content in God's hand, that do not His power of working withstand. They are molded and fitted, a treasure to hold, 
vile clay, now transformed into purest of gold. Who does God use? Just a lump of clay. Just a lump of clay. And he takes that clay and turns us into something beautiful. Not so we can say, look at me. But so that we can say, God did this. To God be the glory. Great things. He's continuing.